Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 284. Today is March 12th, 2019. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, today's episode, I'm going to get right down to business and I want to give you a quick synopsis of what I think is happening not only in the United States stock market, but the global stock market as well. It all comes down to three things. It's what I've outlined in the title of this episode. It all comes down to China, the U.S., and the Federal Reserve. We'll get to all that stuff in a second. But I'm going to give you a spoiler alert right now and tell you the end of the story, which is this economy is not about to fall apart or to go into recession, neither in the United States nor do I think globally. Now, there are more risks outside the U.S. than inside the U.S., but I think things overall are going to keep chugging along. Okay, so if you don't want to listen to the rest of the episode, you can end it right there. You can sleep safe at night knowing that all the prophets of gloom and doom and the hucksters that are trying to tell you that the collapse is right around the corner, well, they're wrong. They're wrong now, just like they were last month and the month before and six months before that. I like to say that I don't have a crystal ball and I can't predict the future, but I also don't wear rose-colored glasses. I know there are a lot of problems in the world. I know there's a lot of problems with not only the economy of specific nations, but of the overall global monetary system. But it doesn't matter because the system keeps working. And it's going to keep working for at least a little while longer. Now, someday will this all end very badly? Perhaps. And I'm definitely a believer in business cycles. So I know that we go through feasts and famines, booms and busts. But this one isn't about to end yet. Now, that doesn't mean we won't have a drawdown like we saw back in December. Sure, the market could fall 10, 15, 20%. We saw that take place just last quarter. But you see, that wasn't a systemic failure of the system because it bounced right back up. The fear that drove that selling was unfounded. And if it happens again tomorrow or next week or in seven months, and if it's still unfounded fear, then there's no reason to worry about it. It's like a little kid that's afraid of the boogeyman under their bed. If there's no boogeyman there, there's no reason to be fearful. And so even if the stock market does pull back, if it pulls back on irrational, depressive investor sentiment, then it doesn't matter. You just hold through that drawdown. You wait for rational minds to take over, and the stock market will respond accordingly. And that's precisely what we've seen all this year. 2019 is one of the best starts to a new year that we've seen in, I don't know, going back over 30-some years. What's the reason for that? Is it because the economy is so great? No, it's all relative. It's because December of 2018 was one of the worst ends of the year that we'd had in 30 years. And so on average, they're balancing themselves out. I'm not claiming that this is the best economy that we've ever had. I'm just saying that a recession is not necessarily around the corner. Go back and listen to the previous episodes that I've been talking about this for going on, I don't know, 18 months, probably close to two years. Same thing with my YouTube channel, where I've consistently put up little snippets of videos saying the end is not near. Now, how long will this bull mark and this business cycle continue? I have no idea. I actually don't think we're still in the same bull cycle and the business cycle that started back in 2009. I've made that case before where I think that you can argue that back in 2015 and 2016, when we saw a major earnings recession take place and we saw a slowdown in the economy, 
And when we saw one of the worst generational collapses in the commodities market, which included virtually everything from oil to copper to agricultural products, I think that was likely the end of this longest bull cycle that everybody keeps talking about. I think that was the end of the business cycle and the reason we didn't get a 20 or a 30 or more percent correction in the S&P 500 and the reason that the United States didn't go into a recession then, I think it all had to do with the excess amount of money that's floating around not only from the United States Federal Reserve, but all the central banks around the globe. We're talking about something in the neighborhood of probably more than $12 trillion of funny, phony baloney money that's been propping up the system over this last decade. And when you combine that with either extremely low interest rates or zero or negative interest rates, which are still in effect in many parts of the globe, then I think you get such a safety net under the economy that it prohibits it from crashing. And so in 2015 and 2016, when we probably should have seen a recession and when we probably should have seen the U.S. stock market drop by better than 20 percent, maybe 25 or 30, that didn't happen because there was too much money floating around in the system, too much liquidity. But that's also when the economy started shifting. That's when we saw the United States become a powerhouse producer of petroleum products and the lowest cost producer in the world of natural gas. That was an extreme shot in the arm to the U.S. economy. And then you had the unexpected election of Donald Trump, which for better or worse, it doesn't matter what you think of him, the fact of the matter is, he shook up the status quo, and the uncertainty that he brought into the economy drove the stock market up to record highs. And then at the end of 2017, he put into place the historic tax cut, which again, it doesn't matter what you believe or don't believe about it, whether it was good or bad or the long-term effects it'll have in the economy are irrelevant because what it did for corporate America in 2018 was increase profits by over 20%. And while the rate of growth will diminish in 2019, it's not going away. The S&P 500 this year will earn about $170 a share. And so right now, where the S&P sits at about $2,800, that's a little bit above fair value. But fundamentally, it's sound because the alternative benchmark interest rate on the 10-year treasury is so pitifully low. Money is a fungible asset that flows where it's treated best. That's an economic reality. And when you have a 10-year treasury that today is paying 2.6%, which on the long-term 40-year average or so is extremely low, it's still about the highest in the developed world. Inarguably, the best and fastest growing of any of the developed nations, the U.S. is offering an astronomically high interest rate Even though on a 40-year historical basis it may seem low, if you compare it to interest rates in Germany or Holland or Japan, you'd see that they're either at zero or negative rates. And so that comparatively high interest rate in the United States is drawing money from all over the world into our government bonds. Forget the nonsense about foreigners are boycotting or shunning our debt. It's not happening. If it were, interest rates wouldn't be at 2.6%. They'd be much higher. And on top of that, not only is the United States like a magnet to attract all the money from around the world, and this is all that 12 or $13 trillion of excess central bank 
phony baloney reserve money that's floating in the system. That's not only all coming back to the United States in the form of global investors buying U.S. debt, but they continue to buy into the United States stock market because the valuation of the stock market is just a little bit higher than historically average. It's about 16.5. But when you compare that to the comparable price per earnings ratio of a U.S. 10-year treasury, there's no argument. You want to be in the stock market. The price per earnings ratio, the valuation of the U.S. Treasury, even as high as it is compared to other developed nations, the valuation is astronomical. It's over 38 times. While the S&P 500 has a very reasonable near-historic average of only 16.5 times earnings. So this market is not only reasonably priced, it could likely go higher just based on valuation expansion alone. Because just like we saw last year, the average valuation for the S&P 500, I don't think it's likely to sit at 16 times or 16 and a half. I think it could go to 17, 17 and a half, 17 and three quarters. Shoot, it could go up to 18 and a quarter, 18 and a half percent or more. That's what's going to take this market to 3,000 or 3,100 on the S&P 500. Now, why? Why am I so confident? Well, first of all, All the reasons that we hear about why we're headed into a recession or why the S&P 500 is going to drop by 20 or 30% and we're going to be in a prolonged bear market at the end of this bull cycle, why I don't believe any of that is that none of the reasons they've given in the past are any better or more valid than the reasons they're giving in the future. Just look over the last year or two. What were all the reasons for why we were headed to recession? Oh, there was going to be a nuclear war with North Korea. Didn't happen. Oh, there was going to be a collapse and a meltdown in the Chinese economy. Didn't happen. Oh, there was going to be a failure of Italian banks. Didn't happen. Oh, there was the Brexit, and it was going to crash and ruin the European economy. Didn't happen. Oh, last year, if you remember, when we started out 2018, the media mantra about the economy was that we were in a synchronized global growth. And when the jobs report came out in February... That's when we saw the first major pullback of the stock market last year because the jobs number was too good. We were in synchronized global growth. Inflation was going to rear its ugly head. The Federal Reserve is going to have to raise interest rates. And all that spooked the economy, spooked the stock market. It caused the market to pull back in February, March, and all the way through until it really didn't bottom out until about June of 2018. And then things got back on track. We realized that inflation wasn't out of hand. The global economy was actually slowing down. There wasn't going to be a nuclear war with North Korea. People started having their doubts there was even going to be a Brexit because Theresa May is likely the granddaughter of Inspector Clouseau. And yada yada, the stock market turned around. We hit an all-time record high in September of 2018. And then Jerome Powell, chairman of the Federal Reserve, had to come out, throw a wet blanket on the party. October 3rd, 2018, he uttered the phrase that we were still a long way from neutral on interest rates. That sent a signal throughout Wall Street and the global economy that the Federal Reserve was going full court press to raise interest rates. And from his statement in early October till Christmas Eve 2018, the market plunged about 20%. But what happened? By the beginning of 2019, The Federal Reserve from Jerome Powell and all of his little lieutenants, they came out, they backtracked his statements, they talked about how we were now in a global slowdown, 
how inflation wasn't as bad as they projected, that we weren't likely headed to stagflation, that the Federal Reserve is going to take a more dovish approach, that they likely would only raise interest rates maybe once in 2019, maybe not at all. Hints, wink, wink, that they might curtail the drawdown on the Federal Reserve balance sheet, which incidentally, any of you out there that think that the Federal Reserve balance sheet is going to drop below $3 trillion, I think it's not only highly unlikely that it's going to happen anytime soon, I doubt it's going to happen anytime in my lifetime. But I digress. Here's the bottom line. None of the fears that anybody was worried about caused a recession or caused the stock market to crash into a long-term prolonged bear market because none of them were based on reality. The reality of the situation is, is that U.S. corporations are making money hand over fist, and that's not likely to change at least through this year. Now, of course, as I've mentioned before, the rate of the increase in growth of profits is slowing. It has to slow. Last year, a generational change was made to the tax code. And so there's no way that corporate profits are going to benefit as much last year as they did this year. But remember, last year they grew in excess of 20%. This year, the current projections are at about 5%. And you got to walk that back too, because it wasn't only about four or five months ago that they were projecting a 10 or 11% increase in corporate profits. Now, I always thought that was high. When I look at the numbers, I see something in the range of 6 to 8% growth. But right now, everybody's walking back their forward earning estimates, and they're talking about a 5% or less growth to corporate profits this year. They're sandbagging. Imagine if you were a salesman, and you went into a planning meeting for the next year. You went into that with the vice president of sales, and you're a salesman. And your vice president of sales starts out the conversation by saying, hey, we realize there's a lot of headwinds in the economy. The president's crazy. The Congress is even more insane. The global economy is going to come to a halt because of tariffs and trade wars. And so we're really not expecting much out of you this year. We just think that at best, you're probably only going to increase your number in the low single digits. Okay, if your management starts out by telling you that, and then they look at you and they say, what are your forecasts and projections for the year? Well, let's say that you think you're going to grow 7%. Are you going to say that? No, because they opened up the door for you to sandbag. You're going to say, oh, I, I don't know. I, I think I'll be lucky to get 2 or 3%. I'm going to do my best just to keep up with GDP. So you're going to go for the lower number because if you do come around and you do have that 7% growth, you'll be a hero and you'll max out your bonus. That's exactly what I think CEOs in corporate America are doing right now. They have a perfect excuse to blame all of their problems and any non-existent problems on all the uncertainty that's going on right now. And so they're taking full advantage of that. And so they're coming out and saying, yeah, we'll be lucky if we can grow at 5%. But hey, that's still twice the rate of the economy. It's twice as fast as GDP is growing. And the analysts and Wall Street and everybody just buys that. When I think, in fact, these guys are likely to come in at 6 or 7% growth easy this year. And when that happens, the talking heads on Wall Street will go into profit basms. They'll talk up the market. Investor sentiment will peak up. We'll go into irrational exuberance and mania all over again. The valuation on the S&P 500 will hit the high 17 or maybe 18 or 19 times earnings. We'll get up and we'll hit that 3,000, 3,100 on the S&P 500. 
That's how I think we're going to get there. Now, of course, that's not the time to be buying. That's exactly the time to be selling. That's the time to be fearful. So right now, when you hear them pitch their gloom and doom, and they say things like, oh, the jobs report for February, it was abysmal. There was only 5,000 jobs added to the economy. We're going into recession. Oh, first quarter earnings, they're so bad. First quarter GDP, it's going to fall apart. Listen, if these things are true at all, they're probably just residue from the government shutdown. Look around you. The economy's chugging along just fine. People are spending plenty of money that they don't have, and that's going to continue because interest rates are so cheap and liquidity is so high, just about anybody can get a loan to buy just about anything. And until that changes, I don't see an end to this bull market. Now, it will change someday but I don't see it happening in the near future. Now, what about all the global situations? Am I worried about tariffs and trade wars? No, we've talked about that all last year. This is just drama, political theater. Despite what you hear about building a wall around the country and raising tariffs and putting up barriers to trade, what do we see? We see the trade deficit with China continue to grow, We see wages to be relatively stable. We see the United States economy growing. And indeed, we even see the global economy continuing to grow. And so whether Brexit is hard or whether it's on again or off again, whether Theresa May is replaced by Boris Johnson or Boris Karloff or whether the Italian banks or the Greek banks go bankrupt, those things are not going to be overly meaningful. First of all, I don't think they're going to happen. And here's the bottom line. The economy that we've been in for the last couple years and the economy that's likely to continue for at least maybe the next year, it's all predicated on three things that are working in unison and that aren't likely to fall apart just yet. And that's the Chinese economy, the U.S. economy, and the Federal Reserve System. The Chinese economy is slowing down, but it will still grow this year at, I'd say, at least 6%, and that's going to take place because the People's Bank of China have loosened up on all the lending standards, and they're pumping out yuan like nobody's business, and they're flooding the country with easy money. And so you're going to see about 6% or better growth out of China. And here in the United States, as I mentioned, Federal Reserve, they may raise rates once this year, But a quarter percent interest rate is not going to drastically affect the economy when the 10-year treasury is below 2.7% and 30-year mortgages are in the range of 4, 4.5%. Another 25% basis point is not going to crash this economy. And the U.S. is likely going to grow at 2.5%. So if you take 6% from China and 2.5% from the U.S., that growth in GDP puts you at about $1.2 trillion. Somewhere in that range. We can argue whether it's $1 trillion or $1.1 or $1.2, but it's in that range. And the important thing about that is, is that that's about the size of the country of Mexico. So the growth coming out of the United States and China, when you combine those two growth rates, that's like creating a whole additional Mexico into the global economy this year. Now, Mexico is about the 15th largest economy in the world. And so that means that the new growth that's coming out of the U.S. and China is larger than all but 14 of the top economies in the world. And even with that, the other economies aren't that much larger. 
You know, you've got France and the United Kingdom, India, all right around 2, 2.2 trillion. They're not global powerhouses. Those countries that I just mentioned, they all have GDPs about the same size as California. That's fairly insignificant money when you compare it to all the global quantitative easing programs. And that takes me into the final part of the trifecta. It's China, it's U.S., and it's the United States Federal Reserve. Now, I say the United States Federal Reserve because all the other economies mimic what we do. The Chinese yuan is basically pegged to the U.S. dollar. The monetary policies between the two largest economies in the world are still essentially the same thing. The Federal Reserve, they are not going to be drastically reducing their balance sheet, which will have a value of well over $3 trillion. And you get back to what I said about the rankings of the other GDPs of the countries around the world. $3 trillion is larger than all but maybe the top four countries' GDPs in the world. Those reserves are not coming off the Federal Reserve balance sheet. Not anytime soon. Maybe not ever. And when you add that up with what the Chinese are doing and they are really milking the system and the Japanese still have their quantitative easing going on and the European Central Bank, which was feared to be raising interest rates and cutting back on their QE, well, they've kicked that can down the road another year because they're worried about going into recession. And so we have maybe 12, 13 or more trillion dollars in global central bank money sloshing through the system. That amount of capital and liquidity, and low cost of money is going to keep the debt train running. And so when you factor in that easy money, and you look at the fact that the U.S. and China are both growing this year, I don't see a recession. And so therefore, I'm continuing to hold my U.S. positions. I'm holding my global positions. And when we do get pullbacks in the economy, I'm looking at those as opportunities to buy the dip. Now, this won't go on forever. As I said, it's likely to maybe end badly.